Welcome to Todd Talks, where my guests today are my longtime friends, Louie and Shelley Giglia. I'm delighted they're with us. Louie is the visionary architect and director of the Passion Movement, which is comprised of Passion Conferences, Passion City Church, Passion Publishing, and Six Steps Records. He is also the founder of the Passion Global Institute. Meanwhile, Shelley is the chief strategist, director of label operations and artist management for Six Steps Records, co-founder of the Passion Movement and leads The Grove, a gathering of girls uh, in Atlanta. That's a whole lot of ministry, friends. Uh, to add but one other item of interest for our listeners today, Louie and Shelley began ministering together at Baylor through Choice Ministries while both were taking classes at the university and Shelley holds a BBA from Baylor and presently serves as a regent for the university. Well, welcome, Louie and Shelley. I am uh, so stoked that we can visit today. Uh, thanks for making the time to get together. What a treat. Yeah, we're grateful. Thanks for the opportunity. It's so good to be with you. So Shelley, uh, if I could, I'd love to begin with you by asking if you would share how you and Louie met, how you ultimately married and began to minister together. Folks will be really interested in knowing uh, You're sweet to ask. Man, that's been a minute. I have to think about uh, <laughs> just how many years ago that was, but I was 18 when Louie and I met. I had just finished my freshman, detail. freshman year at Baylor. <laughs> So I was a very accomplished college student and, um, you know, at 18, I think oftentimes we think about the immaturity at that age. And I, certainly I had plenty of that at 18, but I also had a maturity, I think about me, um, particularly in my desire to know God. And, um, like many students at Baylor, um, I guess my faith became super real when I showed up at college and it wasn't under a youth pastor. It wasn't under a family member it was really becoming my own. And at that point, I think God really awakened me to the possibilities of what he wanted to do in my life and through my life. And so by 18, at uh, the end of my freshman year, I was pretty much cooking. I was um, obviously struggling in school because who doesn't, um, except for you, Todd, but other people do. Um, so I was sort of, you know, figuring out my way in school, but I think with God, I was very committed and very, um, hopeful for what he wanted to do in my life. And in that moment is when I met Louie and I went home for the summer. I'm from Houston, grew up, born and raised. My family all still lives there, everyone but me. And um, I went home for the summer. And when I walked into church, the first Sunday I was home, I saw this cat walking across the front of the, the uh, church. And uh, this guy didn't look like anybody I'd ever seen before. And Todd, you know this, but he, he wasn't Texan. He didn't wear boots. He didn't wear jeans or Wranglers. He did, he actually had on some kind of, I don't know, I call it a get up. I'm not sure what it was, but he had some outfit on that. I was like, what in the world is that guy wearing? Secondly, who is that? The way he walks. Um, I heard him talk. I was like, the way he talks, nothing seems familiar. And obviously I was intrigued. Um, cutest person I had ever seen in a long, long time. I was interested from the standpoint of like, I'd like to know who that is. As I asked my friend, who is that guy? She said, he's actually the summer college intern here at church this summer. Well, I'm a college student and he's a college intern. So that seems pretty exciting. So we, uh, we actually got to talk later that night. 
as I recall, and Louie could probably fill in some of the blanks, but I was probably a little bit of a smart aleck, which I have a tendency to be, and um, definitely gave him a little sass from the get-go. And I think that intrigued him probably as well. We started dating that summer. We couldn't really date because Louie was the college pastor. The summer before, a lot of nonsense had gone on with some of the interns, and they had dated people at the church inappropriately and some, you know, you can imagine strange things. So the pastor had graciously said to the intern group this particular year, hey, do me a favor. Don't just not date the people that are in your ministry. Please don't date anyone at the church <laughs> because we can't take it. Um, but hey, I met my wife when I was doing ministry at your age. So if God does anything, quote unquote, supernatural, and you really sense that God's leading you, please come talk to me. And Louie tells the story that he laughed. He had an intern friend that was um, also an intern that summer and they were sitting at a big long table together and he turned to her and just said, what a joke. Like I'm going to be down in his office in two weeks, you know, telling the guy, guess what? Something happened. Two weeks later, Louie was down in his office <laughs> telling the guy, guess what? Um, I met this girl. And fortunately, um, I knew his family very well. My family was known in the church and I had actually dated one of his sons. So he was familiar with me and knew that, um, that God really might be at work in our life. And we started dating um, late that summer as we finished ministry for the summer. We actually went on our first date. I believe it was on my birthday weekend, uh, end of July. And, um, and then, we, then there we were. Louie was in seminary in Fort Worth at the time, and I was a student at Baylor. So we both went back to our respective schools. It was a challenging couple of years as we drove the 86.3 miles back and forth <laughs> and back and forth, charged every single phone call to my parents' calling card, and, um, and basically survived for two years until the third year that we dated. We actually ended up in the same place in Waco, and obviously that's where ministry for us was born in that year, my senior year of college, and Louie's uh, first year as a grad student at Baylor after seminary. And so, yeah, kind of the rest is history. We've been married almost 35 years and uh, wow. life is, is full. <laughs> sick and bears. And sick and bears. <laughs> well, that takes us uh, to the point where you all uh, were ministering together at Baylor. So Louis, please tell us a little more uh, about this uh, phase of life, the beginning of Choice Bible Study and the beginning of Passion Conferences. It uh, uh, what an amazing, uh, fruitful, and uh, remarkable time. Please share with us about this. Well, you had a front row seat for a lot of it, Todd. And um, as, uh, as you know, those were some of the best days of our lives and maybe the best days of our lives. But to condense <laughs> a lot, if we had a, a two-hour podcast, we could probably <laughs> do this question justice. But to condense a, a really quickly... So I'm up in Fort Worth. I'm doing the commute to Baylor. Most weekends, if I'm not out doing a disciple now or speaking at a youth retreat, I'm going to hustle down to Waco and to be with my girl, which means sleeping on the floor of John Morris's uh, house. Heads up and shout out to JMO um, or sleeping on somebody's floor in the University Park Apartments and We'd go out and do the things people did. We'd go to Paparolo's Pizza. We would uh, walk across the quadrangle. We would uh, go to church on Sunday morning and go to the college Sunday school. And then I'd head back to school, get back in grad school. And we did that for three years. And 
each of those years in the summers, I returned to Houston to be a summer college minister. So I'm getting it from both sides now. I'm seeing the kids, Todd, who are leaving high school ministries and going to Baylor. And I'm also seeing Baylor from the inside out. So I'm not a pastor. I don't have a job there. I'm just a boyfriend showing up and hanging out on the weekend. But it gave me a really great pulse of what is this campus, especially the spiritual pulse of the campus. And so a few years later, uh, I graduated seminary. Shelley had one more year at Baylor and I we never lived in the same city and we really wanted to. I had a big, huge desire to pursue a program at Baylor, which doesn't exist anymore, um, a master's degree in church state studies. And I'd gotten intrigued by this collision of church and state and seminary. I applied for the program. I'm a you know middle class kid from Atlanta. I don't have money to go to Baylor, but I get a scholarship and a grant and I go to grad school. And so that now we're in the same city. And the summer before I started grad school, the last retreat of the summer with the college kids I was leading in Houston, a girl named Kay Dossie looked at me across the table at lunch and she said a question that changed our history. Um, she said, Louie, you know, she didn't really ask a question. She just said a statement, Todd. She said, Louie, you know, God's bringing you to Baylor for a reason. That was it. And as soon as the words came out of her mouth, here's, here's Kay Dossie. She's a sophomore tri-delt at Baylor from Houston. Uh, Shelly and I, good friends of ours, because we've known her a few summers now. And as soon as the sentence comes out of her mouth, I know there's a purpose in this plan. It is not just a boy wanting to be near his girl. It's not just a grad program that I'm intrigued in and a doorway that opened. This is God. And I knew it. And the second we landed in Waco, that I landed in Waco, I gathered Kay Dossie, Shelly, a few students in a circle. Todd, you were in the very front and inner circle of those days. And I said, I think God wants to do something here. And to put it the way that I sensed it then, and I think we sensed it then, there was a lot of religion at Baylor, but there needed to be a little more Jesus in the hearts of the people. And there was a lot of external, but we felt like God wanted to do more on the internal. And it was no, no commentary on Baylor. It was just the way it is on a lot of college campuses across America. Kids grow up with faith, but as soon as they set foot on that campus, they've got a lot of options and a lot of obstacles and a lot of opposition to their faith. And a lot of them just hang it up. So we prayed. Um, and a few weeks later, we started a Bible study at the University Apartments Clubhouse, which I'm sad to say is, is, is no more. Um, the spot where it was is still there, but the actual clubhouse is not. And uh, maybe 45 college students showed up. Uh, we sang, I love you, Lord. Lord, you are more precious than silver. We had some great musicians, Todd Still, uh, Dudley Callison. And we opened God's word, taught from Ephesians. And that was the beginning of our journey um, into college ministry. Um, I really can't really build a whole bridge to how that led to passion, because that's another miracle and miracle story and journey. But that was the beginning of Kay Dossie's prophetic statement coming true and 10 years later you know 1100 1200 13 1500 college students were coming together on monday nights for choice bible study and we really do believe that god had done something great the interesting um twist in that story is that Kay dossie 
uh, went to be with Jesus a few years after she graduated from Baylor and has never seen with her eyes on earth the fruit of choice and of passion ministries which came out of that but her statement and her faith her love of Jesus and her contagion for the gospel and for her sorority sisters her tridelt sisters and Baylor to know Jesus really know him uh, was the spark for everything Shelly and I are a part of right now well, as I remember it, we couldn't find a place big enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we kept trying to find a bigger venue. And uh, the, the bigger the venue, the bigger the, the group that kept coming along. I uh, just recall those days so fondly. I still speak of it as a time when uh, I embrace grace and um, uh, in a way that I'd never really before, having heard it in a way that I'd never heard it before, I talk about being born again, again, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. Um, you know what? What a a, a rich um, and remarkable time. So let's pivot just a tad, Shelley. You direct Six Steps Records. Yeah. Uh, so um, for those of us who haven't gone out to the website and uh, have learned what that means. Uh, share with us what uh, Six Steps is about, the meaning of the label. Talk to us about some of the Christian artists that are presently on the label, and then help us understand how Six Steps relates to passion music. Help us kind of put those pieces together. Yeah, well, the history of it is, is really beautiful and simple. Um, as we started doing passion conferences in 1997 in Austin, Texas, um, I think it was the second year in 1998, we actually had some people come to us and say, wouldn't it be awesome if we could record worship from what happens here at this conference? And obviously you and I both know that um, after 10 years at Baylor, that God was birthing in us a desire to worship God really with our whole hearts. And I think when you push record on something like that, there's a power that transcends it actually being just a song or a recording. It, it's, it's powerful because it's truth. And it's powerful because it's worship of God. And he loves for us to put our heart's desire and intent on him and on his heart. And when we do, it's powerful. And so they said, can we come stay out of your way and just record what happens in this conference? And we agreed that if they didn't interrupt the conference in any way, and we weren't able to see them or really notice them, that yes, we would record it. And so that happened in 1998. And it turned out to be the first of many, many recordings that we were a part of. And it wasn't planned. I love that about six steps. It wasn't actually man's plan. It was God's plan. And so we were just really following God, you know, and where he led, we tried to follow to the best of our ability. Well, in 2000, it became obvious that, that, that there were several worship leaders who were of note, uh, Chris Tomlin, David Crowder, Charlie Hall, uh, Christy Knuckles, people like that, who God was using their voices on earth to redirect people's hearts toward the king. And it was powerful and it was um, timely and our world needed it. And so as that was happening, we decided to just collect those people and to try to become family together, really just stay connected to each other as much as God would allow us to, so that we could then affect and, and try to influence a lot of people all over the world. And obviously, there's no way we could have contained in our minds or hearts what God would do. I mean, how would we have known? We didn't know anything. 
except that God was in it. And all of that was just enough for us to say yes to it. So we, we started Six Steps Records and the, the term Six Steps has obviously been very confusing and called many, many things over the years that are incorrect. Um, why, why name something something so complicated? Well, here's the reason. In 2 Samuel 6, and many of you will remember this story, but the Ark of the Covenant of God, which was the power and presence of God, had been separated from the people of God. And it was a really hard time for the Israelites. They were without the presence of the God that they had committed themselves to. And somebody took it on himself, his name was David, to try to figure out how to reconcile those things back together, how to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the presence of God back to the people of God. And obviously there was a way that that was supposed to happen. And God was very particular about the way that that was supposed to happen. Many people didn't understand that. Several people died trying um, to get the Ark back into the kingdom. <laughs> but um, Ultimately, they figured out that the ark is actually designed to go on poles. They placed it on the poles and they began to carry the ark back to Jerusalem the way that it was intended and designed to be carried. And when they did, uh, worship broke out. And scripture says in 2 Samuel 6 that they went six steps and they were so thankful to be alive that they had not died in the presence of God, that they had protected and carried the presence with them that had remained. That they sat the ark down, they built an altar to God and they had a worship service. And some theologians, and I don't know whether this is completely accurate, who will know until we get to heaven how it all went down. But some theologians suggest that that actually happened every six steps all the way to Jerusalem. And that was miles. And so they were so thankful to be reunited with the presence of God that the only thing that they could do as a response was to worship the king. And everything got put aside so that that could become their priority. And I'm sure the journey took them longer. If they had just kept walking, I'm sure it would have been quicker, but it could not have been better. And so six steps, there it is. Every six steps, every bit of the journey is about the worship of God. And it doesn't matter what we're doing. It doesn't matter how important what we're carrying is. There's nothing that's more important than the worship of the king. Wow. I'd like to close this in prayer now and invite <laughs> anyone who would like what? to make a decision to uh, bow their heads. <laughs> I'm so glad we recorded that because I want to hear that for the rest of my life. So powerful. Uh, thank when you, you, Jesus. Hear it. Yes. That, that's that's amazing, Shelley. I didn't, I, I must confess, I didn't quite expect that, but I'm glad we got it. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Well, uh, so Louis, um, among any number of things that, that you're up to uh, day in and day out, you serve as the pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta. And, and so here's my question, and I'm sure others are interested too. Uh, with everything else that you were doing, it, it, it wasn't as if the, <laughs> you were standing idly by. Uh, what compelled you uh, to begin this now multi-site church? And perhaps relatedly, how are you all doing in the context of COVID? Uh, I mean, I understand it's not a direct relation, but it is in the now how you all are doing church. Um, I know I'm really interested and I think others are too. 
you know, God has a plan. And I think as we were talking earlier about the Bible study choice, and then we kind of skipped over the step of how passion started. It was obviously an interesting turn in the fact that my dad had been disabled for seven years while we lived in Waco. And eventually Shelly and I left choice, as you know, left Waco to get to Atlanta to help take care of my dad. He needed 24 hour a day care. My mom was caring for him. And so we left behind this incredible dream, you know, this incredible adventure, this journey, what you described as we can't find a building big enough. And we're hustling around Waco to the convention center, to the Hippodrome, to this apartment complex or, you know, this venue. And it's just growing because it has the touch of God on it. But we sensed a calling. We need to go help my mom take care of my dad. We left Waco. And before we really could even get settled in Atlanta. My dad died of a heart attack suddenly one day. And so there we were in Atlanta with no purpose, no vision, no job, and passion was born in that. Uh, so we have a history of God intervening <laughs> in our plans. And so mid forties for me, we're cruising along, passion's going. It's a lot happening, six steps is growing. But I have this sense in my heart, Todd, that the Lord is peeling back layers in my heart from a, a word that was spoken to me years before in Texas. I was at a youth event speaking. I'll try to tell this story really fast. It's powerful for me, though. And I'd spoken to a couple thousand middle school, high school kids. We were having lunch after. Um, I remember it was outdoor, but underneath a, a covering at a picnic table. That's what I remember about it. And several, several of the leaders of the event were sitting around the table and myself. And a guy looks up at me and he says, hey, Louie, what do you see yourself doing in 10 years from now? Because I was just a young youth speaker, really, that, you know, didn't have a career path marked out. Choice wasn't exactly a career path. <laughs> it, was a, it wasn't exactly you know, a paying gig either. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was like a every year we'd re-up, you know, yeah. Lord, do you want to do it next year? Okay, we're here. So I was trying to formulate an answer in my mind, Todd. And before I could, this other guy at the table speaks up and he goes, well, I'll tell you what he's not going to do. Well, now I'm interested. I'm like, okay, this guy's about to, you know, speak up on behalf of my future. So the guy who had asked me the question says to him, well, what's he not going to do? I'll tell you one thing he'll, he's not going to do and he'll never do. He's never going to be a local church pastor. Wow. And instead of interjecting, I just let them talk and they talked it out. And the guy said, well, why do you say that? And he explained why. <laughs> and then they went back and forth for 10 minutes and he explained how my particular gift and prophetic tone and this and that and the other wouldn't work in a church week to week. So I just... I never spoke. I just kept eating my lunch and they concluded their conversation. But I walked away from that day, Todd, and I didn't really have a desire to be a local church pastor that day. And I walked away from it and I just received that word. And I say that today because whoever hears this conversation, wherever they are in time and space, you have to make sure you don't let someone else speak over your life something contrary to what God's vision for your life is. And here I was leading passion, showing I were doing some things with the Lord and seeing a lot of fruit. But I knew in the back of my mind, I'll never be a local church pastor. But here we are, fast forward 15 years, and I'm in the cracks with people because I have friends that are dying. I have friends whose family members are in trouble. I have friends who are in the valley of the shadow of death. I have friends who are up against all kinds of odds. And when I get in those cracks with them, 
I feel like I have a heart for them. I sense God is in this. I feel like I'm, I'm supposed to be here as a pastor in this moment. And about 45, God started peeling layers like an onion. And I'm a hard case. So I'd, I'd like to say the Lord spoke once. And like Samuel, uh, you know, I, like Samuel eventually got it. I got it. But I was more like Samuel is what I'm trying to say. First time he spoke, I'm like, I don't know who's talking. Second time, I'm not sure. Are you talking to me? And he slowly peeled back the layers until he could say to me, Louie, I never said that to you. That guy said that to you. What I want to say to you is I want you to be a local church pastor and I want you to plant a church and I want you to take the DNA of passion and to flesh it out in a local community of faith that journeys together through life. And it took us a few years to get on the same page, my lovely wife and myself, because she was running a bunch of stuff and we had some long-term commitments in place. But eventually, miraculously, powerfully, supernaturally, God put us on the same page in a moment in time that we'll never forget. And at 50 years of age, we planted Passion City Church. Uh, I went to my pastor and I said, over lunch, I have something to ask you. Uh, I'd like your blessing because I'm going to plant a church here in Atlanta. And he said to me, are you sure? <laughs> That's a good word. Looking back, that was, that was prophetic. And at the time, you know, every church planter has the same euphoria and there's always the same honeymoon in every church plant, most of them anyway. And I was like, I'm absolutely sure. He said, why? And I was like, oh man, those were not the two statements I was ready for. Mm -hmm. He said, why would you want to do that at 50 years of age? And I said, well, the Lord has called me and that's why. Yeah. So we're here and we've uh, had a 10 year, 11 year, 12 year, depends on how you count our early years. We were a little hopscotch on the front end, but we are here and we've survived 2020, Todd. And it uh, in every I'll just say it this way to answer the backside of your question in every tragedy and in every difficulty, there's an opportunity. And so 2020, we can talk for the rest of this time about our tragedies and we can certainly talk about all of our difficulties, but we also could talk about all of our opportunities. And this year has given the church an opportunity to refine, to refocus and to amplify the story of Jesus to the world. And we take joy in that. Uh, something's gonna happen tonight um, in our house. And the person it's gonna happen to is a part of our church who's never been in one of our gatherings before in our building until tonight. They joined our church this year online, have had their life changed and transformed. Tonight's gonna be the first time they ever walk through the doors of a building called Passion City Church. What is that telling us? It's just telling us what we already knew. The yeah. church isn't a building. The church isn't Sunday between 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock. The church isn't Wednesday night choir and Wednesday night youth. The church is a body. It is an organization, better defined as an organism. We have a head whose name is Jesus. He's unstoppable and invincible. And he's lived through all the great pandemics, the Black Death, the bubonic plague. Uh, he's lived through them all. And his church has survived them all. And so we're looking, yes, at tragedy has been a lot of it. Difficulty, an Everest of it. But opportunity, it's everywhere. Yeah. And I just, we just keep choosing to set our gaze on the opportunity. Great word. Amazing. Uh, eyes to see.
Um, so Shelley, uh, let, let me chat with you just a bit about, um, about passion conferences. So um, my wife, Carolyn and I, uh, had I been more forward thinking, she should be right here. She should, <laughs> uh, indeed. Had I, had I been more forward thinking, we, we've had the privilege of not only participating in choice um, near the onset, not only being at the first conference uh, mm -hmm. in Austin in 1997, One Day 2000, Passion 2017 in Atlanta. So, so, so we're groupies, <laughs> we're, we're in. So uh, there are a lot of others uh, that I assume are wondering um, what's next with Passion Conferences. Um, and to the extent that you are able uh, to share and as you can share, uh, I know folks are eager to, to, to hear. Yeah. I am um, a what a miracle that that this began in 1997 and that our hearts are still on the same course, the same path. I think that's, um, you know, I long time ago read a book called the same, um, what's it called? A long obedience in the same direction. Yeah. And Eugene. Sorry, yeah. Eugene Peterson. And I, <laughs> um, man, that that mentality of life not just ministry, but business, whatever endeavor you might find yourself in, of actually giving your hand to that same plow for an extended length of time and seeing if God won't cultivate and grow what he plants. And so that's really the story of our life. It's the story of passion. Um, passion started in 97. It had a, a theme verse, if you want to call it that, Isaiah 26, 8 which basically says your name and your renown, God, are the desire of our souls. That you, this is actually, all of this is about you. All of this is for you. And we still feel the same way today, all these years later, and I'm on the same course as we've been from that day one. And that's just the grace of God over our lives. It's the grace of God over all of our lives if we have a course today, and I think it's amazing. So this year for the very first time, um, Passion Conference will be global and it will be um, virtual. Um, it'll be online and it'll give the opportunity for so many people. Last year we were in Mercedes-Benz Theater, um, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, sorry, largest venue in Atlanta, um, our football stadium where soccer is played, where football is played. And there were 65,000 of us united in that place. And it was one of the most powerful, not events. It wasn't even an event. It was a place that God visited. It was so holy. And I think anyone who is in that space knows there was nothing like it that we've ever experienced in our lives. And yet today, COVID, everything's changed. The world has become uh, closed in so many areas. So God wants to propel the message of the gospel, and he's going to do that with or without stadiums, with or without sound equipment or LED walls. He does not need anything that we provide to propel the gospel to the reaches of the entire earth, and he's doing that today. He committed himself to it. He said, that's what I'm about, and that's what I'm going to do, and the gates of hell will not stop me. And so I think this, again, for us is proof that God is God that he does what he wants and he wants and he will send this message of his hope to the whole world. And so we can't wait to see who joins Passion 2021. Um, we're, we're having it New Year's Eve this year. It's on the day that we sort of will commend 
that 2020 is done. <laughs> and I don't think anybody's all that sad about that. You know, this year needs to go ahead and finish up. But wouldn't it be amazing if we finished it like we started it? And that is on our knees, on our faces before the King saying, we trust you no matter what. And this is our privilege to say to you, you are still seated as the King on your throne. And while we don't like the way this year went in its entirety, we do trust that you're involved and that you are going to stay that way. And so, yeah, we'll end in worship this year and it's going to be one of the most magnificent things I think we've ever been a part of. So if folks wanted to um, register, they can go uh, to passion conferences and they can find the, uh, the way to do that. Yes. Yeah, it's really easy. If they go to passion2021.com or passionconferences.com, they'll find an easy link. We'll be on from 4 until 1 a.m. Eastern time on New Year's Eve. There will be a dinner break in the middle. And the good news is, Todd, we know we've had to cancel every event in 2020. So our conference um, business model hasn't been extremely robust this year. And we don't ever make money on events anyway. So it's been a little bit of a challenge to start even into an online event that's going to cost a significant amount of money when we really don't even know if anybody's going to buy a ticket because we just announced it two weeks ago. But just a few days ago, uh, someone stepped up with a significant gift that underwrites the entire cost of Passion 2021 online. So it's going to be free this year for the first time and maybe probably the only time. So that's not that big a deal to a kid that goes to Baylor who could pay $19.99 to come, uh, but it's going to be a big deal to students in India and across Africa and across Asia and a lot of kids across America who just don't have 20 bucks right now. So Passion, New Year's Eve, it's free. It will be online for anyone who wants to be a part, Todd, because we can't check IDs across the vast internet. So we hope people will join us from all over the world. And I think you just announced that for the first time. We haven't even told people that information. So Todd, oh, you're uh, in the know from the get-go. Our team is hustling to get our an Instagram ready right now. right now. Okay. <laughs> That's why I said as and as you could and would. So uh, this, is, this is fantastic. You heard it here. Yeah. Uh, that that's wonderful. Well, for those of us who fall outside the age range, we're really, <laughs> we're really pleased See you then. we can come on in. Come on in. But you have to stay up until midnight. See, that's the challenge. Yeah, there you uh, go. That is the challenge. <laughs> you know me well. <laughs> you know me well. Well, um, so um, if, if I can kind of pivot, you, and you all are being so generous with your time. You have another 10 minutes. Are you yeah. all okay? Uh, I can assure you those who are tuning in have another 10 minutes. Um, so, Louis, um, the Lord has used you um, in, in many lives uh, to speak a, a remarkable word, my, my life included, and, and we're grateful. What, one of the things that uh, makes you uh, such a, a powerful uh, and anointed communicator is uh, your transparency. And, and many of us have, uh, have watched, even if it's some remove, um, your struggle uh, with depression that you've been quite um, transparent about. And, um, you know, um, I was wondering if you would feel uh, able to share with us a bit about the struggle. Uh, so many people 
uh, are struggling with mental illness, mental health. And, um, you know, statistics vary. And of course, it just depends which expert you're listening to. But um, some suggest one of five in North America are struggling in significant ways with mental health. And I was wondering if you would just um, reflect just a bit about your, your own experience um, and your own struggle. Uh, and if you could then turn it um, in, into a word of encouragement, if you wouldn't mind. And then if we could just let Shelley uh, conclude our time in a, in a word of prayer, I, I would really be, I'd really be grateful. I think others would as well. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to, just to be honest, great for showing me just to be uh, in a conversation with you today. And thanks for the opportunity to talk about mental illness. I, I think that the statistics are real, but I also know that when I read the pages of God's word, that mental illness is not a new phenomenon. The scripture said to leaders like me, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. These words were written, you know, in 60 something AD ish. And so people have been anxious ever since we left the garden. And one of the things that I hope that we can do, even in this brief conversation today, is to in some way normalize mental illness. I don't mean to uh, give anxiety a seat at the table, but to not act like as believers that we don't have problems or struggles because we do. And I know for me, um, I fell into a hole of depression over a decade ago that I did not see coming. I'd never known anybody that fell into a hole like this. It completely incapacitated me for months of my life. And if you had, I'll, I just can only describe it this way because anyone struggling like me in that season will relate to this. Uh, I never, I could not see myself taking a step forward back into the black. And when I say the black, I'm talking about like, you know, the red meaning we're under, back in the black means we're, we're kind of moving in power. Um, I could never see me getting back to whole or anything close to it. And if you'd walked in, Todd, and said, hey, I've known you a long time, Louie. I've been a long time friend. I've, I've got faith. I have my Bible open. I'm going to speak God's word over you. And listen, in 2020, you're going to make it through 2020, leading a church and be on Todd Talks, mm -hmm. talking about your faith. I would have, I honestly, I would have said, thank you for coming. I love you, Todd. And I'm, I'm grateful for that word. I could see myself swimming across the Atlantic Ocean with a refrigerator on my back easier than I can see myself in my right mind in 2020 talking to Todd still about faith. I didn't think I was coming back. And every night was a struggle. Every The nights were worse than the days, but every day and every night was a struggle um, through the help of a doctor, through the help of the Holy Spirit, through the help of Shelly and my family and my close friends. I made it back. And by the grace of God, I am here in 2020. I still struggle with anxiety and I got shattered pretty hard in that season. And when you get hit like that, you have scars that stay with you the rest of your life. And I think anxiety is going to be in my story until I see Jesus. It's not going to dominate my story. It's not on a pedestal in my story. I don't worship anxiety. 
And I know when I feel it coming, what it is and how to respond to it. But I still, it's still in my story. But I call myself by the grace of God, an anxiety overcomer, not an anxiety victim. And what I want to offer to people today is two simple things. If you need help, get help. And I, you know, in a few years after this season, A, wrote a Grammy-nominated song that came out of the breakthrough night of my struggle. I didn't write the song, really. Chris Tomlin wrote the song, but it was with some lyrics that God had given me in the middle of one of these desperate nights, the most desperate night of all, actually. And now a few years have gone by, and Chris and I are out on tour together in these basketball arenas all around America to eight, nine, ten thousand people every night. And every night I would get up and share this story. And people, it was as if no one breathed for 20 minutes because there's a guy up there on stage talking about depression and anxiety and desperation and darkness. And um, I just think it's important for people to know you're not the only one struggling. And if you need help, get help. If If you're around believers that don't believe in help, get you some new believers who believe in help and get help because anything that helps is from the Lord. And um, I was in a season where I actually did need medication to kind of recalibrate my brain. And in that season, this uh, medication actually helped me dramatically over about a six month period of time, sort of reboot my, my brain. And I, people say, how are you doing? It looks like you're doing a lot better. And I'd say, yeah, I'm doing very, very well right now. Thank you for asking. I'm taking X, Y, and Z uh, right now. And I'm not promoting medication or non-medication or this or that. That's not the point. I'm just saying I needed it at that moment. And when I would say that, people wouldn't say back to me, oh, that's weird. They'd say, oh, that's great. That medication really helped my brother. Or, oh my goodness, that is so great. My business partner takes that and it's really changed his life or her life. And I woke up one day to the reality that everyone around me was struggling with mental illness on some level. And I, I'm, I do think that we are an over-medicated generation, but I also think there's a benefit in help when you need help. And so I would say to people, get help. And the second thing I would say to people, which sounds very simple, is you're going to make it. If you keep breathing in Jesus, you're going to make it. You might just make it through today, but that's all they really ask us to do anyway, is to know that I give you this day, your daily bread. Yeah. And he, he doesn't deliver weekly loaves, but he does give daily bread. And so I knew, and I know now that you make it through depression and anxiety day by day, hour by hour sometimes. But I want you to hear me say today, I'm here to tell you, you're going to make it. So, good. so get help if you need help. And don't let the enemy tell you that today is the last day, because today is not the last day. God's word said, I will live and not die. And I will declare what the Lord has done. And that's my story. And that's going to be your story. If you just keep breathing in Jesus every step of the way. And so good. We thank you. I remember vividly having heard you share that story when you and Chris were in Austin. Uh, it was the, the year that, that Griffin won the Heisman. And I remember Sam saying that Griffin was going to win the Heisman. I remember you and I saying, there's no chance in the world. <laughs> so, 
so, but there is a there there was a chance, and uh, in some ways that uh, really mirrors exactly what you were saying. Uh, you, you felt there wasn't a uh, a breakthrough, but there was, and uh, we're grateful, really grateful, Louis, for your life, your ministry, and uh, for your willingness, your transparency, your humility uh, to share that with us. It's going to encourage a lot of people, already has, but will continue to do so. Um, this has been uh, remarkable for me, uh, and I, I'm just really grateful for your time. And I was wondering, Shelly, would you be willing to lead us in a word of prayer as we close our time together? That'd yes, be okay. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Merry Christmas, you all. Love you, Todd. Love you, Todd. Love you all. Jesus, thank you today for the privilege of just having communication with you. I think that everything that we've said today has been about you. And so just know that you are life and breath to us today, that every good thing that we have came from you and is sustained by you and is ultimately headed back to you. So I pray that we would hold our lives today with open hands and open hearts. Um, just allowing you, God, to put into our hands the things that you would love for us to hold today and steward. Also to allow you to take out of our hands things that definitely don't need to be there. And so would you just open us up to that possibility today that you could guide our lives in such a dramatic and beautiful fashion. We're trusting you to do that. God, thank you that you are the redeemer, that you set things back on course, that you bring things back from the dead. And even as Louie was sharing just our heartbreak and the things that we've walked through, through that, the thread is that there's hope. And Jesus, that hope is you today. I praise you that hope has a name and that his name is Jesus and that you are present with us and among us today, whatever it is that we're walking through and that you are the king. And so we worship you today in our hearts. We tell you that you're worth everything to us. We give something value today, and the value that we want to give is to you, Jesus. And uh, we tell you that we love you. Bless our lives, God, not so that we can be blessed, but so that you can be known. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, you all. Uh, see you on New Year's Eve. Maybe not for the whole thing. But <laughs> Come on, stay up late. I'll do my best. You can do it. I'll do my best. We love you, Todd. Love you, Todd. And love to Caroline as well. Yeah, thanks for your time. Bye, y'all. Bye.